Welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to the conclusion of our study in and a series on the book of Ruth. Uh, this is, as we mentioned week after week, it's a little book with a giant message. And so many of you, you've been with us week after week after week, whether in person or watching or listening online. And uh, some of you, maybe this is the very first time in joining with us. We say welcome. We say thank you for doing so. Let's just give you a quick review of the book before we conclude the last number of verses, the last study in that today. We open up the book, chapter one, looking at, if you remember, bad decisions. Naomi and Elimelech, they left Bethlehem, they left the land of uh, Judah for Moab, a sinful area. As well, when they were there, the husband died, Elimelech. Both sons, Malon and Kilion, died. And so it began a, a pretty difficult, challenging book. It, it opened up, not that it was uh, mentioned, but there were funerals as individuals lost their life. The sons had married Moabite women. Now you've got Naomi and two daughters-in-law who were left. The second part we looked at then, good decisions. As they then chose to return to Bethlehem, return uh, with the daughter-in-laws, but one of them, Orpah, turned back, went back to Moab. It was Ruth who declared her trust and her faith in God and in Naomi and said, I'm not going to leave your side. So we looked at bad decisions, good decisions. Week three was the thought that God is at work. And the encouragement was, even when you and I don't see something happening, which sometimes is a lot, even when it seems like God's not doing anything, the encouragement is and the reminder is that God is at work. Many times it's behind the scenes. And we saw how God was at work behind the scenes for Ruth and Naomi providing the field of Boaz, who was one of the redeemers, and he was blessing and providing food and provision. Week four was then finding God's will. We all want to know, what does the future hold for us? We want to see what that is. And, and no doubt, Naomi was trying to help Ruth out. What would her future look like? She gave her some detailed instructions. Ruth followed them. Boaz came through, and we saw what seemed to be something at work. Last week, then, we, the title was, There is a Redeemer. We looked specifically at Boaz, the requirements, if you would, qualifications of this kinsman redeemer, needed to be a close family relative by blood, needing to be able to redeem and willing to redeem. Remember, there was someone who was closer who chose not to, said that he couldn't, and Boaz said that he would. Boaz became the redeemer, stepping in and helping and assisting redeeming Ruth. But we pointed that to Jesus Christ, our Old Testament pointing to the New Testament. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the one. He is able and willing. He willingly paid the price for you and for me. He is our redeemer. So we begin today with the verse that we concluded with last week. It's chapter 4, verse 17, where the neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Yes, King David. David who defeated Goliath to become king. That individual... And so we continue with a thrilling and, and exciting portion of Scripture. It's the genealogy, verse 18 and following. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor, Perez, 
Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. Wow! How many of you right now are just blessed? We read names and names, and, and in King James, it's, it's often the, the word begot, and so-and-so begot or begat, and, and so we look at the begots and the begats and the fathers and the sons, and we say, what in the world is that doing in here? Some pretty important reasons. But that concludes the book of Ruth. Now, if you're to look throughout the rest of Scripture, there's only one other place where we see Ruth mentioned, but you've got to go to the New Testament to get there. So open up the New Testament. In fact, open up the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Open up the first chapter of the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and look at the first verse and following of Matthew chapter 1. It's another thrilling genealogy. But in Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, the father of Ram. Verse 4, the father of Amenadad, the father of Nashon, the father of Salmon. Verse 5, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Ruth. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. I'm sorry, the previous one was Rahab, this one's Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And so in two different places, this is where Ruth is mentioned, we see this genealogical record. And so as we conclude these last several verses of Ruth, First number of verses of Matthew, just want to share a handful of final thoughts. Uh, some large topics, some large themes that we would do well to understand as we try to look at this entire book of Ruth. Uh, we've looked at making decisions and finding God's will, understanding He's at work. Uh, but let's take a look at just a handful of final thoughts today. Final thought number one is this. Salvation is available to all. In the book of Ruth, we see Ruth was rescued by Boaz. He was that kinsman redeemer. We went through those qualifications, the things that he needed to have. But who was redeemed? Ruth was the one who was redeemed. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was from Moab. She had married one of the sons of Naomi and Elimelech. And if you remember, we started out the book of Ruth, and we described a little bit about Moab. Was it a godly place? It was a godless, sinful, evil uh, land. It, it was a rebellious land. It was complete opposition to God and to his authority. Remember how in the world they got their name? The Moabites were named after Moab. Moab was the son of the incestual sexual relationship of Lot with his own daughter, Genesis chapter 19. So the origin of the people of Moab was not the greatest origin. It was not the greatest beginning. And remember Psalm chapter 60 verse 8, God's view, 
God's opinion of Moab. God said this, Moab is my wash basin or footpan. In other words, it's the dirty, cruddy water that's left in that basin or footpan after they would wash their dirty, dusty feet. Not having the socks and shoes that we would have today. You're, you're wearing sandals. You're walking on dirty, dusty roads. And when you would wash your feet, can you imagine, some of you, you can't imagine, maybe you get that picture of uh, you know, being really dirty after having worked outside or something like that. You take a bath and you just, you just see kind of dirt coming off of you and it's dirty, grimy, grungy water left over. That's God saying, uh, that's basically the viewpoint or the opinion of Moab. It's that dirty, sinful, evil, wicked place. Moab, in a sense, was one of those enemies of the people of God and the people of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 6, here are some of the instructions that are mentioned about Moab and some of the people nearby. It says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants for 10 generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. They were to be excluded. They were from a wicked, evil, and sinful place. In verse 4, it says, these nations did not welcome you with food and water when you came out of Egypt. Instead, instead of welcoming, instead of blessing, instead of taking care of you, what did they do? Verse 4, they hired Balaam to curse you. Verse 5, but the Lord your God refused to listen to Balaam. He turned the intended curse into a blessing because the Lord your God loves you. But just stop right there. Aren't you thankful at the power of God who can take what was meant for evil as he did for Joseph in Genesis? Joseph said what God meant for evil, he turned it for good. And here, he can take a curse and turn it into a blessing. That's only God. Only God and his power and his might and his strength is able to do that. But he's, he's saying, listen, instead of blessing you, they were cursing you. Verse 6, as long as you live, you must never promote the welfare and prosperity of the Ammonites or Moabites. So there are a handful of these nations who were wicked and evil and sinful, and their actions towards the people of God, in a sense, they were cut off. Moab was one of those places. Ruth was from Moab, and yet she turned and, and committed. She was going to be with Naomi. She was going to head back to the land of Israel. She said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And God was able to turn that curse into a blessing. Listen, it's not because of who you are. It's not because of who I am. It's because of him. And as it says, it's because he loves you. Salvation is available to all, not because we are anything special. Because God says that we're sinful. We are sinners. But salvation is available because of God, because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy for you, no matter what you've done. Grace and mercy and provision were made available through Boaz to provide and help for Ruth and Naomi. 
That was the book of Ruth. But in the bigger picture of things, Jesus Christ is providing salvation for you. Salvation for me, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he has done. There's no barriers to keep somebody from coming to Christ. Even Ruth, as a Moabite, she's brought in. He said, God's able to take this curse and turn it into a blessing. She was provided for, and you and I are able to be provided for. Some of you think of who you were before you came to Christ. For some, maybe that's been quite a few years, but before Christ, you were certainly in sin. Some maybe a little bit of sin. Some maybe a whole bunch of sin. But we needed a Savior. We needed somebody to come and to rescue us. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but salvation is available to all. It's his grace, and it's his mercy, and he's reaching out to you, and he desires to reach out to me. And so as we look at this entire book of Ruth, it's, it's one of these themes that salvation is available to all. It's not just for this select group of individuals. Ruth was from this not-so-great, definitely sinful land. And there was provision. There was salvation. She was redeemed. Aren't you thankful that God, through his love, was able to reach out to you, able to reach out to you to cleanse and to forgive you? Salvation is available to all, which hopefully should lead your mind to think about some individuals that you do know who don't know Christ. And there might be individuals that come to your mind. It might be some family members. It might be some friends, uh, some neighbors, some co-workers, uh, some classmates. And your first thought when you think about this individual is they would never turn to God. They would never surrender to him. I mean, do you know what they've done? And yet, salvation is available. And it's not just an Easter Sunday message that says you and I are able to be cleansed and forgiven and set free because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Salvation is available to all. There's a second thought and a second theme here, and that's this powerful one. Your past doesn't determine your future. Have you ever heard it said about you perhaps or maybe a family member about you that you look just like your mom or just like your dad or for some of you it's your child or your grandchild looks like you acts like you talks like you i see some smiles that can be good or bad right depending on what that is i mean in some cases you know you're, you're looking and you say man he has got a temper just like his father she is curious, just like her mother, whatever it might be. I mean, all of these things, uh, talking like and acting like some of the, the motions and actions that we do. You know, when you, you, you get to know some of those individuals that you have graduated with. Now, many of you, you kind of, you're born and raised in this area, and so you've kind of grown up with different individuals, uh, as I mentioned, I've, I've grown up in Illinois and, and New York and Connecticut and Bible College in Missouri to Ohio. And so uh, there are a number of individuals that I've known over the years, but they're, they're spread across the country. And so what happens? It's, it's Facebook. It's social media where you kind of 
stay up to date with some people and you see some pictures that are posted and you see some of those pictures and you think, whoa, he looks just like so-and-so that I went to school with. He is the spitting image of his dad, right? Maybe, maybe I hadn't seen a picture in years and, and you see this picture that pops up on your screen, pops up on your cell phone. What's said, and the world often says, that your family history, your personal history will repeat itself in you. Now, in some cases, that's good because uh, maybe that family, maybe that parent, maybe that, that situation well, was a positive one. And so what's said is, well, you're, you're going to positively repeat some of those things invested in you. What if your family situation wasn't the most positive? Maybe, uh, maybe with a, a father or a mother or, or some of that family situation, and it's not the most positive, then sometimes when that's said, it's almost as if you feel condemned to repeat those actions. I'm here to encourage you this morning that your past does not have to determine your future. Think about Naomi. Now, she and her husband, they were in Bethlehem. They were in this land of Israel, and yet they left. She made some decisions that were not the greatest, her and her husband. They left this land of God's provision and protection, not just to go anywhere, but to go to Moab, one of the most vile, one of the most sinful areas. And then while there, they allowed their sons to marry Moabite women. So, in Naomi's past, she had done some things that were not the greatest. The good news is that past did not have to determine the future. Now you take a look at the genealogies, this exciting number of verses of names and the begats and the fathers. We see a little bit more of a complete list in Matthew than we did here in the book of Ruth. But you find some interesting characters in there. Now, how many of you have ever done uh, your, your family tree? You've done an ancestry, you know, ancestry.com, kind of one of those uh, popular things. Anybody here done something like that? Just maybe, no hands, but maybe a couple of those. You probably know somebody who's done that. I, I know of a couple individuals who have gone through, done the, the ancestry.com. I think you give a little DNA swab and, and answer some questions. And then it kind of comes back with trying to track a little bit of your family tree. And if you've done any of that, and if you've used some of those online resources, what you're hoping to do is you're hoping to see, maybe I tie back you know, to, to a president, or I tie back to a, to a king, or I tie back to someone really cool and important, right? That's the dream. But if you know some individuals who have sought some of that, maybe as they've gone back in their family tree, they found some not-so-great branches, of the family tree, right? Rather than finding kings and presidents, maybe they found, you know, thieves and murderers and bank robbers, and they found some not-so-great portions of the tree. Well, when we take a look at Matthew chapter 1, which is a little more expanded than what Ruth chapter 4 reads like, we see some pretty interesting characters in the genealogy and history of Jesus. The family tree, now, it includes such people as Abraham. And we hear that name, and for some of you, if you grew up in the church, 
a song comes to mind. A song with motions. It's Father Abraham who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right? It's, it's head up and head down and left arm and right arm and left foot, right foot, and turn around, sit down. And we got the whole motions down to Father Abraham. I mean, he is one of the men of God of Genesis in the Bible. That's true. He was obedient, and he sacrificed his son because God had instructed him to, and, and God called him to go someplace without telling him exactly where, and Abraham followed in faith. Abraham did some great things in obedience to God. You want to know what else Abraham did? Probably no. Abraham was a big, fat liar. Now, we're not just talking about, you know, and I don't know why they call them fibs or little lies. You know, a lie is a lie, right? But he wasn't just lying about, is that your cookie? No, it's not my cookie, and it really was his cookie. He was lying about his wife. He, he basically told people his wife was his sister so that maybe certain things would go a little easier for him when he went to certain areas. Now, you probably don't want to lie, but in your household and in your home, lying about your spouse is probably not a good thing to do. And yet Abraham did, and so did his son Isaac. They were both big, fat liars, specifically about their spouse. Well, you've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and we know about Jacob. Jacob was a big, fat cheater, right? Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau was older. Esau had the birthright. Esau had the blessing. Jacob had created the stew, and Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew. He kind of smuggled him. Hey, I, I know you're hungry, all, but I'll give you some of this if you give me your birthright. When he got older and his, his father was about to pass, the mother came up with the plan to trick the father into giving his blessing to Jacob. Remember, Jacob dressed up. Uh, the, the mother kind of put some skin, some of the hairy skins of animals on his arms and neck because his brother Esau was a very hairy man, and it would kind of smell like him. And they tricked the father into giving a blessing. So he tricked him out of his birthright, tricked him out of his blessing. Man, things are looking great. The family tree of Jesus, we got some liars and we got some cheaters. You get to Tamar, one of the handful of women who are mentioned here. She conceived a baby with a secret sexual encounter with her father-in-law. If that doesn't sound like the next Maury Povich talk show, you are the father, right? I don't know what else does. And yet, Tamar was one of these women, one of the individuals mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. We remember David. David was listed both in Ruth as well as in Matthew chapter 1. David was, yes, he was that young boy whom his father didn't even think he was maybe worthy to be considered a possible king. He was out in the fields while Samuel came. 
And yes, David was the man after God's own heart, as, God's, as the scripture says. And he was the one who defeated Goliath. He was a king. And yet he was also the king who lusted after Bathsheba, who was mentioned in here. Who committed adultery with Bathsheba. Who then had Bathsheba's husband killed to get rid of him so she could become his wife. That same David who defeated Goliath also did all of these things, breaking nearly every single one of the Ten Commandments. That's the David that's in the genealogy. How about his son Solomon? Wisest man wrote so many of the Proverbs, wisest man who ever lived and yet was a polygamist with hundreds of wives, many of whom served other false gods. Well, how does that happen? And yet he's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Hezekiah is mentioned, godly king, but so is his son Manasseh, who is about as evil as his father was godly, both mentioned. And certainly Mary's in there and Joseph's in there, these, these young people who were certainly not very well known and, and did not have much to their names. They're mentioned in the genealogies. Ruth, again, as a Moabite, Bathsheba in adultery, Rahab. I stumbled over that, but Rahab is mentioned in there from Joshua as a prostitute. We see this genealogy of Jesus, and how about you? But if it were me, and I'm trying to come up with a genealogy of Jesus Christ, I would probably want it to look a little better. Am I, am I alone in that? You look at that and you say, why is this person in here? Man, he messed up, she messed up, get them out of here. Can't we find someone a little bit better? I mean, if it was me, I'd probably run some background checks and some fingerprint checks and maybe some credit checks, right? To try to put the very best foot forward and have this, this line and this lineage where Jesus Christ would be born into, hopefully to be a little bit more positive. But it encourages us with the fact that our past does not have to determine our future. Our past, your past, can be overcome in Christ. God can take your past and my past, a sinful past, and create a powerful future. That's through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that. You don't have to fall prey to whatever's lurking in your family tree. Some of you might know about your family tree. Some of you might not. But whatever is there, you don't have to fall prey. You don't have to follow in line with some of those same things. Are you faithful? God can take and use faithfulness. Do you feel like a failure? God can take and use that. Do you feel like maybe you've been overlooked and forgotten? God can take and use that. God is able to offer a fresh start to anyone who seeks out a relationship with him. The faithfulness here of Ruth, even as a Moabite, Boaz as the kinsman redeemer, it laid this foundation for generations of a faithful heritage, though interesting heritage, to come. So we look at Ruth and we see Naomi, whose past wasn't perfect or spotless. We see Ruth, who has a Moabite. Her, her past was not perfect and spotless. And we see that the past doesn't have to determine our future because the good news is Jesus Christ will come to cleanse and to forgive and give a brand new start. 
Salvation's available to all. Our past doesn't have to determine our future. And finally, know that God's blessings begin when we turn to Him. God's blessings begin when we turn to Him. When we turn or when we return to God, it puts us in a position to be blessed by God. Take a look back at at the book of Ruth. Where in here did things begin to shift, begin to change? Certainly after Elimelech died and after Malon and Kilion died, you've got Naomi and two daughters-in-law. When did things begin to shift? When did they begin to change? Naomi made the decision. She's going to turn back. She's going to return back to Bethlehem. She had left there. It was some tough times. There was a famine. And they weren't sure if maybe God was going to be able to provide. And so they left God behind. But she heard, sounds like some things are happening there. Sounds like there might be some food there. I'm going to turn back to, I'm going to return back to the place that I left, that place of God. And that began, that was one of those good decisions that began this shift and this change in their life. Turning from where you are right now and turning to or returning to God. It basically describes this biblical concept called repentance. I turn from sin and I turn to God. When we turn or return to Him, it puts ourselves in a position to be blessed by God. I want to challenge you to make God a priority in your life. Here's the reality for many, many individuals. Many individuals don't make God a priority until life becomes a difficulty. When a rough patch hits, when a difficult situation hits, when something physical or financial hits, we turn to God. Sometimes only when a rough spot or a tough patch hits, that's when we turn to God. Financial difficulty, you, you get news from a doctor, you get, you get news from a, a checkbook or a bank account, and you're not sure what the future is going to hold, then many times people will turn to or return to God. I want to encourage you, no matter what it is that we face in our lives, make God the priority. Maybe you've gone down the wrong path. Maybe you've lived your own life. Maybe you've done your own thing. You've turned away from God and His will. Maybe a little bit like Naomi. Maybe you knew God. Maybe you'd had a relationship with God. And for whatever reason, you kind of walked away. It seemed like things were tough. You weren't sure if you could face it or not. And so you kind of did your own thing for a while. I want to invite you to, to do what Naomi did, what Ruth decided to do. And they turned back. They turned to God. I want to encourage you. It's not too late. Because here, here's what happens. Sometimes in our life, human nature is uh, for someone who has known God and walked away or someone who says, I've never known God. The thought is this, and the enemy wants to raise this thought in our hearts and in our minds. It's too late. You've blown it. You've messed up. Certainly, God doesn't want you to return back to him. He knows you've left. He knows you've messed up big time. When people say, well, yeah, maybe, maybe I can't turn back. I mean, would he ever welcome me back? The answer is yes. He welcomes you with open arms. 
And for some who maybe have never, ever turned to God, they wonder, what would God say? What would God think? How would God respond? And he would respond the same for you, welcoming you with open arms. God's blessings begin when we turn or return to him. Here's what Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22 says. The Lord says this to his people. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Turn to or return to him. Why? God says I've redeemed you. Uh, that, that word, that phrase sounds familiar. It's that whole concept, again, the kinsman redeemer in Boaz to Ruth, he was redeeming or he was buying back. That's what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He is redeeming us. God says in Isaiah, return. If you never turn to him for the first time, turn to him. He has redeemed. He's paid the price. He's provided it for you and for me. So when we turn to God, when we return to him, the, the best is yet to come. Isn't that good news? How many, how many times you are encouraged, man, things don't look so great now, but you just wait. The best is yet to come. I mean, Ruth started out with some funerals, and it ended up with a wedding, and it ended up with a baby shower. Okay, maybe they didn't have quite a baby shower, but they had the baby, and, and then you see this family line, and it goes all the way to King David. But in Matthew chapter 1, it literally goes all the way to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, you know, as, as a parent, if you're a parent, you're awful proud of your children. You're proud of who they are and who they're becoming and what they're doing. I'm not a grandparent yet, but I hear a lot from other grandparents. You know, boy, wait till you become a grandparent is what I hear, right? The, the, the pride and the love that just oozes out of you towards your grandchildren. And, and eventually your thought is, wow, I wonder if my child or if my grandchild or somebody down the road... What will they become and what will God do through them? And you're, you're just, your mind is exploding with possibilities. Imagine here for Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, if they only understood all the way down this family tree would be King David, but many more years down the family tree would be not just the kinsman redeemer, but the ultimate redeemer of mankind, Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? The best is yet to come. All of the Old Testament, it's, it's pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to the Savior. It's pointing to the Messiah. It's pointing to the redeemer, Jesus Christ. Naomi and Ruth, they were blessed in the immediate they were taken care of through Boaz and through this marriage and through this child. But in the long run, God had great things in store for them. The best was yet to come. It took place after they turned to and returned to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, we read this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
In other words, you and I, we can't possibly imagine in our finite brains all that God desires to do in and through our lives. Again, it's not because of who we are. It's because of God through his son, Jesus Christ. But those, be, those blessings begin as we turn to or return to him. Just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to turn to or to return to him. Just several final powerful thoughts from the book of Ruth. Salvation's available to all. Your past does not determine your future. And God's blessings begin when we turn to or return to him.